Welcome to Business Unmuted Live, a video business discussion at five o'clock every Wednesday, which is later shared on platforms including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. As we get closer to June the 21st, the next planned reopening date, according to the government's roadmap, I want to find out if there is a sense of optimism about a business and reopening in our business community. But first, let's have a look at some of the recent economic data. Yesterday's public sector borrowing statistics show that the public sector net borrowing in the financial year up to March 2021 is estimated to have been just over £300 billion, the highest borrowing since the financial records began, but lower than original estimates. Other figures recently included the inflation figures, with RPI, which most people use to judge inflation, at 3.2% well above the 2% normal target of the Bank of England, but CPI, which is the targeted figure, is at 1.5%. If this pattern continues, could that affect interest rates? And then recently released figures from the Office of National Statistics show that the number of people working from home has increased, actually only by 9.5% from 2019 to 2020. An interesting bit of data from ONS there. But home working is here to stay. And could it be the start of a more flexible working pattern? According to research from YouGov, 26% of UK businesses will either close, downside or downsize or consolidate their offices in the coming months. And their companies are moving to hybrid working models. 53% of businesses plan to offer more flexible or remote working policies, while 30% are expecting employees in the office between one and three days a week. So let me introduce today's guests. Down the line, we have Rushmi Dubey, who is the Northeast and Yorkshire Policy Voice Ambassador at the Institute of Directors, and Ian Watson, Chairman of Hadrian Healthcare, and who also has interests in commercial and residential property. And joining me in the studio is Charlotte Winbank, co-founder of FIRST, which supports first-time entrepreneurs. Everyone, welcome. First, let's go to you, Rashmi. Uh, now, Rashmi, what do you think, when you look at that data and the practices and uh, uh, um, experiences of your members, what do you think the economy is looking like as we go towards June the 21st? I think we should be um, slowly optimistic about the economy. The inflation rate was going to go up, but according to the Bank of England, they expect it to return back to the 2%. Um, the public sector borrowing, we knew that was going to happen. I mean, we had to support the economy. And we had to support um, income, as it were, for furlough. But the Chancellor himself has said that they've moved towards a more growth strategy where they're taking steps to keep a sustainable footing and trying to take that debt under control. Um, and inevitably, um, the, there are going to be certain sectors, and depending on your size of business, um, of how you're going to see the economy and whether you see it as a positive or a negative, because it also depends on the disposable income of consumers and also how much cash businesses have in their bank. Because at the end of the day, this will expedite any recovery they have, but also how much they've moved with digital, because digital transformation played such a key part in this pandemic. Absolutely. Ian, now you uh, are in the healthcare business with uh, very high-end oh. nursing homes. Now, if, I, if you don't mind, I don't talk about that at the moment because it has a specific niche in the economy, but maybe mm. focus on your uh, commercial and uh, property investments. Mm. This is an area where in some areas of the country, there's a bubble. Residential's doing well. How's commercial? Mm -hmm. Well, we also have a house building arm as well. So uh, we have the house building arm 
And in the care sector, we're currently carrying out some big new developments. So the first thing I would say is that costs, we've mentioned before costs, costs are very, very significant cost increases. Um, we are seeing across the board in the construction sector, probably round about 20% um, increases. We've got things like plasterboard and timber. We're seeing a 40% increase, a 40% increase in costs. Um, one of the concerning things, which you may be surprised when I say concerning, one of the concerning things about the house building side is that the level of demand is unprecedented for new housing. Um, we're in a situation where we're, we are releasing new residential homes and having to put them to seal bid Goodness. because the level of interest we have. Now, some may say that's a dream for a house builder, but it's also a sign that things are too hot. That's not a natural state for the housing market to be in. We're seeing gazumping. We're seeing people getting on the property ladder because they have fear of missing out. And we've been there before. And we know what follows that kind of scenario. Absolutely. So we've, you know, I think, I think the economy is strong in terms of there's, there's an enormous pent of demand coming through. Um, the supply side is lagging behind, which is causing the price increases. And the word that you don't hear being discussed, which I think is absolutely critical, is productivity. Um, it's all very well having the strong demand. There's a big pent up demand there. But if you haven't got the supply side and you haven't got the productivity increases to match, that's inflationary. And you've mentioned interest rates, we can see interest rates going up. And the thing about interest rates going up is that we, we mustn't forget we've had 10 years of unprecedented low interest rates. We have interest rates of zero. We have mm. negative interest rates mm. in, in many parts of Europe. Now, if you start and apply normal, inverted commas, interest rates to the level of public debt, then you're getting into a scenario that we haven't been into for many, many generations. You'd break the government. You'd break the government, wouldn't you? Because the debt payments would be so high that you, you they just couldn't raise enough tax. Let's go back to Rushmi before we go to uh, Charlotte. I mustn't ignore Charlotte in the studio here. Uh, but you heard what Ian had to say on interest rates, and you, you, you correctly identified what the Bank of England was saying. But the Bank of England has been wrong before on interest rates and it has let things heat up uh, uh, before. Do you think that perhaps that now is the time to bite the bullet and head off pent-up demand, maybe control the demand a bit? I think it's important to control it. And I, I just want to pick up an, an, another point in return to that of what Ian said. In, I think you're quite right, Ian, in identifying that the working materials, the raw materials have increased. And what that does is make the investors jittery. So if you start losing investors um, and then we do see an increase in interest rates. And again, you're, you're right in to say that the interest rates have been low. So um, a likely hike shouldn't be seen as something detrimental, but we need to control it. So there has to be controlled growth because there is significant borrowing from everybody. And if people can't repay the borrowing, you're going to end up with a society that has a number of issues, not just of closing of businesses, but you're going to talk about community welfare problems as well. This is a good time to, sorry, you know, I'm going to bring Charlotte in yeah. because Charlotte, your uh, cohort of uh, uh, users of FIRST, your business, tend to be first time entrepreneurs. Uh, 
quite often younger people. Now, during this pandemic, a lot of younger people were hit very hard. And it seems to me that a lot of them decided they were going to take matters into their own hands and start a business. Yeah, absolutely. So we um, we just launched our um, uh, competition called the Startup Awards Northeast, and applications came in. We had a record number applying, and we actually did the data. So the competition is open for four years, businesses up to four years old, um, but they actually um, sixty four percent of them started it during the pandemic at various stages. That's amazing. Yeah, and it just shows like the um, entrepreneurial spirit is truly live, alive and kicking in the northeast. But these young businesses. They could be hit quite hard by a sudden change of policy. And also, in a way, it's a very benign environment, if, if Ian and, and, and Rashmi are right, uh, to start a business. So anything that changes it later is a, is a threat to them, isn't it? Not that you want to knock their optimism, but they've got a plan for that. Absolutely. But then when there are challenges, that then comes opportunity. I mean, if you look at the big apples and the Googles, they all started from the garages. Mm. So um, it's almost like, you know, it's almost... A natural progression for a startup to start working from home first mm. and then look to get an office in the future so I think it works. And they are a productivity stimulant in the economy because they're doing things in different ways, they're doing things in their own time and, and I think we should pick up on Ian's point on, on productivity because it's something that is an under-measured and under-targeted measure uh, of our economy isn't it? It is and people are wanting to take their own destiny into their own hands like the amount of people that have been made redundant and are now just turning around and saying actually no I don't want to work for someone I want to be in control of who I am and I'm not redundant so why should people tell me I am and that fighting spirit is making more and more people do it their own way and better than the way things are done at the moment so I'm really looking forward to seeing what comes out of the northeast. Great. Let's pick up back with Ian and, and uh, Rushmi. Ian, first, let's expand on your point on productivity a little. Traditionally, uh, you think of productivity as measuring factory output. Uh, but of course, it applies to white collar and it applies to some of your uh, construction and, uh, and, and building and maintenance as well. Uh, and, and I suppose your nursing homes. Um, what do you think is the biggest downside on the current productivity uh, um, d problems. Wages? I think, well, we want to see wage inflation, certainly, but I think, you know, one of the things that we, um, one of the things we did in the last recession, in the financial recession, is that companies managed to retain staff. Mm. I think there was an expectation that more staff would lose their positions, but companies retain staff, they reduced some of the hours, and of course they froze the wages, and in some cases reduced the wages. And that was good for employment, but it's not good for productivity because the reality is productivity. You need the least number of people to produce the largest uh, amount of outcome. Um, so can I just say one of the I think on that one of the one of the really important aspects is because we're talking about the level of demand in the economy and we're recognizing that there is a supply problem in the economy, supply with labor resources and supply with materials. What we don't know, how much of that is down to the pandemic and how much of that is down to Brexit. Mm. So if you take our care sector, for example, if you take the, the social care, the healthcare sector and the hospitality sector, we rely massively on migrant labour. We clearly have a major problem at the moment. We have unemployment at 4.8%. We have full employment. We're going through the biggest recession in 300 years and we have full employment. That's never happened before. So as businesses start to return, as hospitality starts to reopen, as the 
the care sector and the healthcare sector continue uh, in their business. We need more labor. We need more staff. The engineering sector and the, um, the skill sector need more skilled labor. Now, how are we going to attract the people who've left because of the pandemic? Or perhaps more importantly, how, much, how are we going to attract the people who've left this country because of Brexit? Okay. okay. We're already in a situation, which we're actually seeing in the hospitality sector, companies offering golden hellos to existing staff to bring in new staff, recommending a friend. Yeah. Because there's such an acute shortage of labour. So, um, I mean, pre-pandemic... The Brexit, I'm coming to you, definitely rush me on this, but pre-pandemic, the Brexit issue, if you were a supporter of Brexit in, I know, a working town like Hartlepool, which just changed its political allegiances, you were wanting employers like you, Ian, to level up the wages and that the, the issue was about wages, wasn't it? So now it's happening, presumably. Rushmi, let's bring let's bring Rushmi in because I know she's dying to say something on this point. It was only because Ian's picked up on a really really important point, and I think this is really spe specifically also needs to be addressed to the north, um, and that is skills. Okay, it's the skills. It's not just the shortage of skills; it's um, also the training. So we have youngsters. Oh, I say youngsters, but we, so we have the next generations coming through, but they're not being adequately trained in the right skills in, in their education system. And also there has to be retraining of people where their jobs have become redundant yes. um, because of machine learning or artificial intelligence. And there is no investment from the government or local authorities in this area for, for that. And that is, is just critical. Every business that I've spoken to where they have lost um, supply of labor, they, it's just difficult. They can't grow to the full potential they want to and create the productivity that is required because of lack of skills. Is that true? There's you no investment. I've just received £3,000 bonus for taking on an apprentice. So there is mm. some investment, isn't there? Mm. 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 The problem is you can't, you, can't, you can't necessarily get the individuals to train. Yeah, that's we have, as I said, we have unemployment of 4.8%. You know, we don't have a pool of people looking for work at the moment. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I, th I think that's probably, I think if you've got 100 businessmen together, I mean, Rushmi would know this better than me, but I think if you get 100 businessmen together from all various sectors and ask them what is their main concern going forward, the, common, the biggest common denominator, I think, would be skills, labour mm. and skills. Um, I think it, in all sectors, in well, the skills so sector, I, in the social care, the hospitality sector, it is a big problem. So when I speak to business uh, men and women, um, they do say that it is skills that is predominantly lacking. And it's not that people don't want the jobs, they just don't have the skills. Yeah. And I know you mentioned The Apprentice, but that but that scheme is, is good for one level, but there's time and investment that is required in training. Um, what we're talking about as well is just immediately hiring somebody who have the relevant skills and can start on day one. No, you're absolutely right, Rushmi. And I know the IOD is taking a particularly strong stance on this and getting the skills brushed up. And, and on day one, that's what we want. 
Of yeah. course, there is the, it is true that in business we have got to play our part as well and that sometimes means bringing an unskilled younger person in and gritting your teeth and accepting you've got to play your role in training them. But it's tough to get, it, get everything you want at once. That we Can got, I just got... pick up on a point yes. um, that you mentioned in the studio? And that was talking about you know, the startups and how um, are they going to be um, challenged by the interest rates. Um, and, and with any strategy, whether you're established or not, um, is you, there is a fear at the moment that we'll be working in silos in terms of our strategy. And we really need to keep an open mind on how we move our companies forward because things that we should really factor in there are the various, um, sorry, the viruses, variants, and how that still might affect us because we are nowhere near out of this pandemic yet. No, every time we start to consider what's going to happen, there's another variant popping up. Um, let's, let's just go to Charlotte and, and, and give a last word on to you before we, we close with our guests down the line. Uh, your cohort of people, this enthusiastic group of first-time entrepreneurs, You've heard the debate about skills, you've heard the debate about productivity, inflation, all these other things, but they are at the front line taking a risk. How do we keep people in mind to do that? Because they are going to be the employers of tomorrow, aren't they? They are, and I think these incentives around, you know, the £3,000 for an apprenticeship, the Kickstarter scheme, I think startup early stage founders really need to be harnessing these um, these activities because not only for the business to test out and try out um, an intern or, or, or an apprentice for the first time and see whether or not they, they can actually manage staff um, with, with less risk to themselves but for the young person they get to see an entire business running from every different department because the whole of the departments is just that one entrepreneur and it's so much more valuable than going into a huge you know corporation where you're simply there just to answer emails or you know make cups of tea you get to see the whole business in in, in in its fullest so I do think there are some really positive things happening in the education system I think the introduction of T-levels that's an exciting one to watch um, you know and we can't as much as we put the blame on education colleges have been thwarted by cuts for the last mm. 20 years and now public spending is actually directed to skills and I think we can see, we're going to be seeing some really exciting opportunities for our young people and for businesses. Charlotte that's great before we leave it though I want to just ask Ian and, and Rushmi about one other thing which I put on the slides at the beginning and that is patterns of work now Ian you you've been you've got commercial property as well as residential mm. we talked about residential how mm. do you see future office use and Rushmi you come in and tell us how you see future patterns of workplace uh, involvement first of all Ian well, I've got a strong interest in this because we've just started a, a major new investment in Newcastle city centre. We're taking a, a, a building in the city centre and converting it into new office space, which people find quite, quite a challenging thing to do at the moment. Um, but we're creating what we think is the 21st century office space. So gone has a single floor plate with desk after desk, we're creating collaboration space for people. We're creating the kind of environment that the average worker will say, well, if I'm having a couple of days at home, I'm really looking forward to spending three days in the office as well. Mm. Because it's a, it's a, I mean, we have a yoga studio, we have a, a fitness studio, we have a, a sun terrace, we have a cafe. Um, we have the kind of workspace that I've never had before. But I think is the workspace that will give an incentive for people to go into work. 
and it's central. It's in the city centre. It's next to public transport links. Um, so I don't think the office is finished per se. I think there will be a hybrid, but I think the the single floor plate, rows of desks with pending trays and telephones on each desk has, is coming to an end, definitely. Okay, okay. and Rishmi, I'm gonna give you the, the last word of the entire broadcast uh, on this particular issue of workflows, patterns of work, and how people are gonna use their workplace. I think it's definitely called flexible working. I think we're gonna to have to move away from the terminology home working and office working, because that then immediately labels the way you're going to work. And there's an assumption that you're gonna work from home and the office. When actually I think moving forward, particularly in the next generations that are coming through, actually what we have seen through this pandemic is you can work anywhere in the world and you can just come together at certain points in time. And that could be anywhere. Um, so I think in the immediate pattern for the next five years, I think what Ian's suggesting is probably a little bit of the step forward. But after that, I think it's going to change again. Um, so I wouldn't um, invest all my eggs into one basket. I think I would be flexible and just call it flexible working. OK, well, Rushmi Dube, uh, Ian Watson, Charlotte Winbank, thank you for joining us on Business Unmuted. You can listen to this on uh, one of our podcast platforms or watch us again this time next week uh, live at five or watch a recording on YouTube. Thank you for joining us.